You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another podcast. Thank you so much for all your comments on our Instagram page and on Apple and Spotify. We love reading them. Please keep them up. Please like, subscribe, because you can still listen to some amazing episodes coming up. And today is no short of that. We have Kim McHugh. She is the vice president of Wells for Chevron. Kim is a second-generation driller who grew up in the industry and has lived in many parts of the world. She is one of the first women to ever hold the VP of Wells title for Chevron. But more importantly, she has been just a huge inspiration to us and all the women in energy. And we are just so excited to finally rope you in, Kim, and get you on the podcast. We've been asking for a while, and you just have so much knowledge and so much advice for not just women, but men too. And we just cannot wait to get into this episode. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of y'all's too. So this is quite the event for me too. Well, thank you, Kim. So let's get straight into it. Today's episode is brought to you by Veril Energy Solutions. Did you know that Veril has been around since 1947? They're originally known for their drill bits, but through several acquisitions, investments, and rebranding, they now offer a diversified portfolio in drilling and completions. One of their core competencies is actually global manufacturing of consumable downhole products. They solve the industry supply chain problems. We've chosen to partner with Veril because they simply get it. They focus on their employees, they're committed to diversity and inclusion, and they know their only true sustainable advantage is their people. To learn more and stay up to date, please go to www.veril.com. Veril Energy Solutions, beyond technology, beyond normal. you were fascinated by your dad's job as he worked on offshore platforms. And what was really interesting was how your mom made you guys feel like dad wasn't gone that much because she would involve you with his departure. So if you guys would go to the beach, she would say, go wave at dad, you know, he's out there on the platform. And with his rotation back then, it felt like he was gone. But when he would come home, he would really make time to be with the family. So it seemed like you grew up just really admiring what your dad did for a living, which is why you you know, decided to follow in his footsteps. What was interesting as well was you guys traveled around the world. You went overseas to follow your dad's career and you were put into a Catholic girl's school while you were overseas. Can you tell us a little bit about this time in your life as a young girl and the advice that your mom gave you every time you would move for your father's career? Oh, absolutely. And it's fun remembering my mom's stories about taking us to the beach and we just wave at any rig or any boat. And she goes, there's dad. She had no idea which rig he was on, (laughs) but it was a picnic event and just made us feel a part of that, you know, his life and his job. But when we went overseas, we were living in Ireland. And so my parents put me in an Irish Catholic girl's school, which is very interesting because I'm an American and Protestant. So (laughs) This was really a very different environment, but the school there, what they did is they tested you and then they placed you in what year you passed. So it wasn't by age. It was actually by what you knew. And so while I was there, I got advanced to grades. So I got exposed to math and science much higher than the level I would have been exposed to back in the U.S. And I found I had a knack for it, really enjoyed it and progressed. And so I was able, I think, to get a leg up when I came back to the U.S. because I knew more. 
And that was just because of the environment. But it also made me super confident in my classes because my parents put me back where I was with my age because they didn't want me graduating too early or being surrounded maybe by older kids. And so with that, I just, that math and science came easy, which continued then to build a confidence in math and science. But mom was really funny because when we moved, she would always tell you where you're going is not what you left. So don't try to make it where you were, enjoy it for what it is. And I've, my whole life that's resonated with me because I remember living in Lafayette and people would move there from the North and just hate it. They're like, oh, it's hot, the bugs and all that. And I thought the food's fantastic. The people are wonderful. Yeah, it's hot. I can't change that. So what do you do to enjoy that heat? And it's always been my mom playing out in my head. And in fact, with our kids, we've been the same way. So I think that that really resonated and it helped us enjoy everywhere we lived. And even West Texas, when we moved out there, you just find what makes it special. So she really, she really supported my dad and his career and then us and our growth as we moved. When you talk about math and science and that confidence, you know, what did you find when, you know, your daughter is good at math and science as well? And I don't think she went to a private school, kind of like what you did when you went to that Catholic school overseas. So what do you think about the American like system and how can we get more women, young girls specifically, you know, confident in STEM, knowing what you went through and what you've seen your kids go through? Yeah, so fortunate. I have two girls and a boy and all of them very good in math and science and so surrounded by it. But I think where we fall short here is when I listen to conversations, even elementary school, junior high, it's already conversations leaning more towards the boys are stronger in math and science than the girls. And I watched this play out. One of my daughters was on a, you know, they had a project, I think it was physics. And the teacher said, hey, let's make sure we put a boy on your team because they had put together this all girl team. And he said, because you might want his help. And my daughter looked at the teacher and said, but the three girls, we have the highest average in your class. (laughs) Why do we need the help, you know? And I thought that was a fascinating thing. And so I think it's how do we continue young to make math something that's enjoyable? It's not scary. If you start telling kids they're good at it, guess what? Mm -hmm. They're going to be good at it. They're good. It may not be their natural talent, but I just think we make it a scary proposition. And when they're struggling, We just lean more to the struggle than trying to really help them. And the older kids get, you start to see this separation on gender and people may disagree with me, but I've watched it. I've watched in the classroom. I've even watched it in college and the words people use, you know, so a lot of times my daughters would say, yeah, a professor would say, you know, that's actually a really good idea, but they don't put that actually in front of the boys. And so why is this qualifier? Why do you have to put... So I think it starts in education. I think it starts young because nobody starts out going, I'm bad in math Mm -hmm. or I don't enjoy science. And I think when you get a teacher who loves the math and the science and enjoys imparting that knowledge, then everyone is elevated in the classroom. So I think that's super important. And I don't think we do enough of that encouragement. We label them very early on Mm -hmm. that they're not good in math and science. And then that just continues. Mm. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Like you mentioned, it starts at home and I'm sure your kids saw you as a working mom, engineer that, you know, they also wanted to kind of follow in your footsteps. So let's get back to kind of your life Mm -hmm. working offshore or on different rigs, which is 
what you did for the majority of the early on in your career. Can you tell us a little bit of what life was like back then where, you know, you probably have to share commendations with men. You were probably the only girl on the platform. How did that, you know, how did you handle those situations? And was there ever a point where you told your dad that you were going to pursue his career and kind of follow in his footsteps and him being in the industry and knowing how difficult it was for women, did he ever try to stop you from going into oil and gas? That's a great question because he was very encouraging, very different. He really understood that it was going to be a struggle, but he also understood I had this need to go into something that everybody else wasn't doing. I actually liked that, that that was an area that very few women were in. And so I could go and, you know, not break the ceiling. That's not what I wasn't starting out in that. I just wanted to do something that wasn't the norm. And so he encouraged, my mom was a nurse and I passed out of sight of blood. So there was no way I was going into anything in the medical field. So he encouraged, but he also coached me and he would talk to me about, you know, it's going to be difficult out there. You're going to be on your own. It kind of prepped me. And it's unfortunate not every young woman coming into our industry gets that kind of coaching because it's super helpful. But, you know, you ask like, what was it like? So I hate to say this, it's 34 years ago. So it's quite a while back. But the first summer internship I had, I was on a production platform and they did not have facilities for women. And so you had to share a room. And at the time it was had, you know, four bunks and there were seven guys and myself. And there was a bathroom that was not women or men. It was just the bathroom. And so they were funny. They're like, you can you know, hang a sign on the door, you know, woman in shower. And, you know, you're a college kid and you're like, oh my God, that's just like saying, come on in. Yeah. And, you know, so I would shower in a bathing suit and all, and they were very nice to me. That wasn't that it was, you know, kind of a fear you put on yourself and the unknown, but they were very open to teaching me. They really, you know, one of my favorite stories is I had to clean the skid underneath a tank. And for those of you who don't understand what that is, underneath vessels, they would have a pan. That's what you'd call the skid. Mm -hmm. And fluid might gather in there. And so you'd have to squeegee it to the drain. And it's really nasty. And it's hot. You'd think of Gulf of Mexico offshore. It's super hot. So anyway, I'm squeegeeing. I think this was after my sophomore year in college. And just in my mind, cussing because I'm squeegeeing uphill. And I'm thinking, this is so stupid. Why is the drain uphill? No wonder it gathers fluid because the drain should be downhill on the slant, right? So squeegeeing away. So I go inside and I tell the production supervisor, he goes, how are you doing? I said, excuse me, this sucks. I mean, this is really hard work. And why is the drain on the up slant? And he looked at me and he goes, Kim, not all engineers graduated in the top half of their class. (laughs) And I looked at him, he goes, an engineer designed that. Isn't that what you're going to school to be? And he just kind of, it resonated that whatever you're going to do out there, somebody's got to use it. So think of the end user and not yourself. And that was his lesson. It wasn't, you know, squeegeeing out. It was, hey, design things that work for people. And that has always, you know, kind of resonated with me. But I was the only one. I broke out on the rigs. I was the only female. There were about 55 men and me by myself. And that was hard. And people want to help. But for me, my dad's coaching was do not go out there and try to be something you're not. Mm. So don't go out there and think you're going to pick up a valve or you're going to be able to do what they do. Go be you and learn and learn from everyone you come across and value what everyone does out there. And my dad lived that. And even, you know, in a restaurant, he would want to know the waiter's name. 
you know, value those people that are helping and supporting you. So he wanted to make sure I didn't go out there. I'm an engineer. I'm getting a degree. I am so smart. And just gather and endear people to you, like build a relationship. So then they want to help you and they want to teach you. And I just spent a lot of time letting people teach me. And I think that helped because some of the women that I started out with, I think they actually went out there with a chip on their shoulder. Like I've got something to prove. Mm -hmm. And then that played out against them and made it a lot more difficult Mm -hmm. as they were, you know, in the field working. So his coaching again, helped a lot. And you're around people who've been doing their job for 20, 30 years. There's nothing a book could teach you Mm -hmm. to know their job. So I spent a lot of time with a mud engineer, with a mud logger, with the driller, you know, the directional people just wanting to know what they knew to learn because I thought I needed to know more than my peers to be able to be equal. Mm. That's such great advice though, and everything that you just said there. And when we talked last, I remember you mentioning that you actually became pregnant while working <laughs> offshore and you well, weren't really sure. <laughs> it was my husband, by the way, anybody at, uh, was very, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Yes. You were married. <laughs> we jumped, we jumped ahead. You were married <laughs> and you know, you just talked about having, you know, two daughters and a son. And so at mm-hmm. one point, yes, you were Pregnant, planned pregnancy, of course, right? Married. But with that said, <laughs> there was some struggle. You were a little had fear on kind of what that meant for your career, especially being offshore. And, you know, you, we talked about kind of, you know, what can companies do to create that environment where women can thrive today, given what you experienced at that time and that fear that you experienced? You know, people still feel that today when they become pregnant. Yeah, it's sad. You know, I really, I hate when I talk to young women and they're either getting ready to plan a family or they're pregnant and they're scared. They're scared of that. They won't be taken seriously. They're scared. Will their job still be there when they come back? And I hate that because you would think at this point, I mean, my son's 29 years old. And so 29 years ago, when I found out I was pregnant, I didn't want to tell anyone. And I literally continued going offshore for five months. I'm six feet tall. So you can hide a lot in baggy coveralls with that. And why? Because I wanted people to know I was serious about what I did. And I didn't want them to go, no, now she's gone off on the mommy track and that sort of thing. And when I had him, you got six weeks of maternity leave. That was it. I know a lot of women nowadays, three months, six months, you know, that break, but we didn't have that. And I actually went to bed rest and your bed rest counted against the six weeks. And so with my son, I really only had two weeks home with him before I was back in the office. Now, I had a fantastic environment where we worked. It was a small office in Lafayette. We all knew each other. You know, the house was five minutes from the office, you know, those sort of things. But at the end of the day, I went back because I wanted to make sure they knew I was serious about a career. And nowadays, I think it's fantastic that you get to take more time, that you're mentally ready to be back and kind of getting your life in order. It's hard. It is a big transition. It doesn't give us an excuse not to be good at what we do. You know, I think that's really important. We come back and we need to perform at our job and really integrate. You won't hear me say balance. I don't believe that word balance. It's you integrate your life and work together. And I think companies are offering the policies. Okay, so I think policies have moved along. What's not happening is supervisors embracing Mm -hmm. what's getting ready to happen, 
understanding that this is a big life change. And yeah, there may need to be a little flexibility there at the beginning while you're figuring it all out. You're not asking for forever flexibility, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of emotions that are going on. There's a lot of logistics that are going on. And at the end of the day, you want the employee to want to come back. You don't want it to be so hard that they don't want to come back to you. And so staying in contact while they're out on maternity leave, not to get work done, but how are you doing? How's the baby? You know, how are you transitioning? Those sort of things I think are so super helpful. Mm. The policies are there. It's the behaviors that have to catch up and supervisors really supporting. And I think also that there needs to be a system inside companies that whether it's other working moms that can connect and help you figure out like, you know, simple things. What did you do for daycare? Mm-hmm. Or how did you find a nanny if you wanted help at home? You know, how are you managing the babies up at night? And now I got to go to work the next day, you know, and there's tips and tricks. It's not that you don't want to do your job, but why relearn everything, every woman each time? So that support system. So policies are there. It's just supervisors mm-hmm. and the atmosphere you create. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had a woman tell me the other day that her supervisor, because she's getting ready to go out on maternity leave, he said, well, we're going to have to backfill your job while you're gone. Well, isn't that the last thing you want to hear? Yeah. Because then you'd say, well, what happens to me mm-hmm. when I come back? That's not what should be said. It's, wow, you're leaving is going to leave a big hole and we're going to figure out, but we cannot wait to get you back. Mm-hmm. And so go enjoy your bonding time and we're going to be ready for you when you return. That's what people want to hear. Not that, oh, you're leaving and now I've got a backfill because of the gap. Mm-hmm. And she was really distraught. I mean, she's like, does that mean I don't have a job when I come back? What does that mean? And I'm sure you guys have heard very similar stories to that. And yeah, that makes people feel like they're not welcome. Yep. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit about you have three children you've climbed the rank, you've made a name for yourself in the industry. Everything you've done is extremely hard just on its own, even with no kids. Now you add three kids. Was there ever a time, and you don't believe in balance, which is great because, you know, balance doesn't really exist. You're kind of, right. if you're not doing one thing, you're doing the other really good, but you're lacking on other things. What have you been able to do when you have that mother's guilt where uh, you yeah. see moms, you know, at the park with their kid and here you are at, you know, six weeks old, someone else is taking care of them. I'm sure that is hard yeah. for any mother. How did you handle that? And maybe like the outside noises of either family members or friends who they've stayed home or even back then, it was probably really different for you to be out to work. You know, now I think yeah. it's generalized a little bit more and, you know, you see it more often back then it was probably like, what is Kim doing? She's this is wrong. She should be home, you know? Yeah. That guilt honestly never goes away. Like, I'd love to tell y'all I don't have mom guilt. Now I have grandma guilt. (laughs) I want to help whenever they ask and I want to babysit and you're traveling and you can't. So the, how you get around it, it's tough. I remember having conversations with, you know, when my kids were in elementary school and volunteering in the classroom and the PTA, and I would tell them, Hey, look, I will volunteer but my kid has to be part of the activity. Because if I'm going to be at their school doing something, I don't want to be sitting in a workroom cutting, you know, figures out or putting papers in stacks because I need all my time to be, you know, engaged with my children. 
Mm-hmm. And so I was happy to do junior achievement. I loved doing, they had a science at her elementary school. And so I would go and do these science projects, you know, and those sort of things. Look, and I've always made it visible on my calendar. That's the other thing is how can I expect others to f- understand that I encourage this sort of thing if I'm not willing to put on my calendar, you know, reading to the second grade. Mm-hmm. Like that. Now, but I always, like I said, was connected to my child, but I would, I was having a conversation. This one woman was like, I, well, I just can't believe, you know, how you're working. Cause you're really not there for all the stuff. And I said, well, let's be really clear. You need me too. Mm-hmm. So I need the moms who are going to be in the workroom and that can do that. But you also need the moms who are going to be able to write a check to support the activities and a new, you know, facility out on the playground. I mean, it takes all of us. And I know I couldn't do it without those moms mm-hmm. and they need me too. But the guilt's real. You know, my kids, God, they, they feel so bad now. There was times where my middle daughter, she'd go, mom, why can't you be like Rachel's mom? Because when we go over to her house, there's fresh cookies and, you know, all this. And I was like, well, okay, But do you enjoy, you know, having your swimming team and your practice and there's things that we can enjoy because of the work I do? And look, I can go buy some really good cookies, you know, (laughs) but I said, and I would have to tell her, have you ever wanted for anything? You know, because if they felt like I wasn't there for them, that's a different conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's sad, but my youngest one time asked me, when did Chevron become more important than her? And that was like a knife to my heart because I truly felt like I was putting in that effort for them and I was there. And what she saw was I had been bringing more work home. I was on the phone and not fully engaged with her. And I cannot tell you how happy I was that she was willing to say that. And we took a mental day the next day and I canceled everything and I kept her out of school. So for the truancy officer, so sorry. And we spent a day together, like anything you want to do, anything. Mm -hmm. And that meant if she wanted to watch a TV show and like a dance moms, then we're going to sit on the couch together and watch dance moms. And I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to be with you. And so I had to change some of my habits and get back to, I don't get on the computer when I go home when the kids were little. And a lot of people are like, well, then how do you catch up on your work? I'm terrible at email. I'll be the first to admit it. But I needed to be present for my kids. And if they're doing homework, I would print out pre-reads. And so then mom was doing homework and it was kind of different. If I was reading and writing notes, they felt like I was there. But if the laptop was open, I wasn't. But that guilt never goes away. You know, and you just have to, I would say, give yourself grace. Right. And then if you feel like it's imbalanced, probably is. And you need to connect back with your family and your kids. But what other people think and the guilt they put on me, look, I'm one of those who, hey, you're supposed to bring cookies. And okay, so I'd go buy cookies and put them in a dish to make it look like I made them. I'm the first to admit, (laughs) you know, I think everybody has to do, I'm a better mom working than I am not working. I love that. And now a little word from our sponsor, Technique FMC. Macy, you know what I appreciate about them as a sponsor is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was to move the industry forward, and they back that belief. Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work. 
Beyond the DNI, they're also big into technologies. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. Their core focus is on the energy transition, emerging materials, and digital industrialization. To find out more about their most popular technologies like iProduction, iComplete, eMission, and iEPCI, go to technipfmc.com. And now, back to the show. And I remember when we spoke, you talked about how you always wanted to be a working mom. So you really followed that. And there was one thing I remember you talking about, we didn't really get to get into it. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned about taking a sabbatical. Yeah. Can you talk to us about why you made that decision and really what that meant for you and what it was like when you came back to work? Yeah. So Jamie, and I failed at the sabbatical. So I'll start out with that. I had been working for 24 7, 365 days on call for about three years. And my husband got the opportunity for an international assignment. And I had lived overseas as a child and I was super excited. I thought that'd be fantastic. And I was worn out. I truly, we had a two year old and a one year or three year old and one year old at that point. And so when we went and looked, we went to Thailand, did our look see, and decided this is a really good opportunity for our family. So when we came back, I was working for Vastar at the time. It used to be part of Arco. And they were kind enough to give me a sabbatical. And they said, look, we will bridge your time. And in case it doesn't work out, because my husband had never been overseas. Mm -hmm. So we didn't know if this was going to work for us as a family or we'd get there and be miserable. And so they gave me two years. So I had a two-year sabbatical to figure out. And they said, look, you can come back. You can have your senior drilling engineering spot. Your time will have bridged and all of that. They were very, very kind and very supportive. So my plan was for, you know, while we were overseas, I was going to be with the kids. And then we got over there and I was about, I don't know, two months into this. And my husband had gone on a trip on the river. They had like a dinner with some of the executives and the drilling manager said, Hey, we understand your wife's a drilling engineer. Does she want to work? And he goes, I don't know, you better talk to her. And so I was able to negotiate with them a job where I worked from 6 a.m. until noon and then came home. And so I worked through a consulting firm. And that way, my youngest, she napped in the morning. And my son was going to an international daycare, like a school right? A preschool because I wanted him to meet more kids and that sort of thing. So I really didn't miss much time with them. Then I came home and I was a room mom. I was able to be, you know, a basketball coach, a soccer coach. I know nothing about soccer, but I learned pretty quick. And so it was the best of both worlds. And I did that for seven years and yeah, and stayed in this at a really critical time in a young mom's life so beneficial. I had built my technical skills. I had that depth of already doing that. So then when I went into this consultant role, I was able to do work nobody else wanted to do. I took home leave like other moms who were not working, other spouses. So I'd get a two and a half month break in the middle of the year with my kids when we brought them to the U.S. to visit with family. And I having that kind of part-time work versus the full-time I think is what allowed me to keep my skills hot, 
I was able to build additional skills at the time, a lot around performance and setting targets and uh, really became known in the industry for that skill set. And so then when we came back to the US, I continued some of that consulting for a bit till I went back full time. So I encourage where companies can allow more part-time when your kids are little. I mean, think about it. My kids were three and one when I was able to do that. Mm-hmm. And then we actually had another child a year before we moved away, but I just kept doing that for seven years. And so I didn't take a total unplug. And so it was much easier than to go back to a full time, but it was a while till I, I went back to a normal going in the office. Cause even when we came back as a consultant, I still worked from home two days a week. Mm-hmm. And then in the office two days, that was way before it was in vogue, what we have today. Yeah. I think what's yeah. really great about that is that it shows that I feel like sometimes when you're going through that, or you think about taking a sabbatical for a year, you think it's the end of the world. I'm never going to be able to get back on track. Everybody's, you know, getting these big roles while I'm part-time, but at the end of the day, it shows that it doesn't really matter because look at where you are today. And looking back those seven years that maybe you were part-time, like no one even knows that, you know, that's true. kind of like when you focus on, Oh, I took maternity leave or I had two maternity leaves in a row. And you're so hard on yourself about it, about missing out on six months of work. And then, you know, in 20 years, like it doesn't matter. Like, you know, as long as you're working hard towards your goals and you're putting in the work and you stayed, you know, still very technical and still had a name for yourself at the end of the day, you're kind of still in the race, you know? Yeah. And I think that's it. I always tell people, because they're so worried about the next job, be really good in the job you're in and deliver because you can't plan a career. I can honestly tell you, I never would have planned this role for me in my career. Just didn't seem achievable, nor something that maybe I had the skills for. So I think people want to just orchestrate this entire career and instead take it a job at a time and, you know, just take in, because if you notice when you deliver, the next job comes, Mm -hmm. but if you're always networking and trying to get that next job, it actually never works out the way you think it should, Mm -hmm. because it is about what you do and how you do it that ends up mattering. And look, I've made plenty of mistakes along the way, but I think your point is spot on. Nobody remembers those seven years were part-time. Mm-hmm. You know? So I have a question and you are someone that's very passionate and open. And just every time we get a come, you know, get to talk to you, it, it showcases. And one thing that a lot of women get feedback on as they're progressing in their career is that, you know, we could be quote unquote, too emotional. We yeah. show our feelings more than men. We handle situations a little bit differently. Can you tell us about a time where maybe you kind of like let it get the best of you, whether it was talking to someone higher up or your manager about a situation that you were unhappy with. And if you could share maybe like where a situation didn't necessarily go as well and you had tears in your eyes, like how do you overcome those things? And, you know, because at the end of the day, we're always told to, you know, crying isn't meant for the workforce. And But at the end of the day, almost every girl or women that I talk to, they're like, yeah, it's happened to me. So how do you overcome that? Yeah. So I think you learn techniques, but I don't think you necessarily overcome it. Like I've been in situations where I can feel the tears coming. Yes. And it's usually where I have to say, can we just take a break? And I will leave, go to the restroom, get it out. So then I can come back 
and be more composed. Mm -hmm. I won't let myself lose that control in that environment because then I will always be the emotional woman. But it happens. It happens to all of us. It's interesting you said because I was just in a meeting the other day and the tears did flow, but for a very different reason. We were talking about a recent fatality and I was learning a little bit more detail and I couldn't help. At that point, I was like, I need to show this is really hitting me. And I think that is a gift that we have as women is that that emotion. Now, when you say, when did it go bad? So I, and I've had this coaching that I can be very hot tempered, quick to react. You know, I like to say I'm passionate, but there's other words that people would use. And I've had to learn over time, but I got the coaching that I was turning people off because it was so strong. And I did not know that. I felt like I was sharing a perspective, mm-hmm. but apparently I did not do it in the right way. And so the people being open to give you coaching to try and correct, I think is super important. It's even the way I would ask questions, someone said, well, you almost feel like you're interrogating. And so I thought, okay. And they were telling me, don't ask. This was really funny. Here was the coaching. Hey, Kim, maybe you should schedule a meeting after the meeting to ask questions. And I thought, why would I do that? Like another meeting when we're having the meeting. And they said, well, sometimes it can feel like you're challenging the individual when you ask your questions. And I said, okay, I'll work on how I ask the questions, but I'm not going to ask them out of the room because what that person didn't understand is I would have people going, thanks for asking that. Really appreciate you. Thanks for saying that. And I'm okay with asking the tough question or saying, so you're always learning you're always being coached. You know, somebody said, what do you do with bad feedback? And I go, well, there's not really bad feedback. I may not like what I hear, Mm -hmm. but that's real to the person giving you the feedback. So that passion, I'll just say, I try never to cry in situations. I had somebody tell me one time, you know, I think maybe Jamie, when you were chatting that, you know, well, did you get the job because you're a woman or not? And you hear those things that hurts. Mm-hmm. It hurts, but you don't ever want to show them that hurts, right? And so the bathroom is a really good way. You know, you have these glasses. And so sometimes I might put them on if I feel that and I'll try to control my breathing and just, you have to learn because regardless, someone will think less of you and that you can't handle stress. And that's not necessarily what it is. There could be a host of things happening at home, right? Mm-hmm. You could be dealing with personal stuff. And that was just one more thing. Yep. I'll also tell you the other way I have to handle it is when I'm having a really rough day and somebody will go, Hey, can I give you some feedback? I have said, not now, not today. Could we schedule it for another time? Mm-hmm. Because that could just add more where you could get defensive, you could get emotional, or you're not ready to really take it in. And I've never had anybody say they've done that before, but I have said that, hey, not now. And I think people appreciate it. And they'll say, well, are you okay? And I go, well, it's just been a rough day. Mm. And even if it's positive feedback, I still would like to receive it in a way. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know about you all, but I tend to will focus on the negative. Mm -hmm. I'll forget the positive that you've told me and I will remember all the opportunities I have to work on. And then I'm in a swirl. I'm a people pleaser. That's been my nature since I was a kid. And so that's really hard. So it's good to have emotion. I think it's our strength. I actually think leaders 
that people are looking for nowadays is more empathy, Mm -hmm. more relationship building, more collaboration. And I think we have a gift in some of those areas and the vulnerability. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm at a stage now in my life and my career that sharing mistakes or vulnerabilities, I'm okay with that because I know where I am in my life. If you're early in your career, that's a little bit harder to do. And so by sharing those vulnerabilities, making your calendar open, you know, I went to Muffins for Grandmas and I put it out there and I let people know because I don't want them to miss out on life events either. I love that. Talking about leadership, you know, why do you think that a majority of women middle career that really want to get to that next step, they end up not making it, they end up not getting that promotion and then they end up leaving the industry and they don't really, the problem is never solved on why women are not making it to that higher level. What have you seen with fully capable women and why, like what is holding us back? Like, why are we not making it to that level and leaving the industry instead? Yeah, it's probably one of the things that frustrates me the most is because how are we ever going to have the diversity in our industry if they keep exiting at kind of that middle point in their career? I think a lot of it has to do with if they can't see it, they can't be it. So you notice I started with that, not the work-life integration. That's not it. If you can see women in the role you aspire to or people that look like you, whether it's gender or not, then you see the potential. And if you have people that are telling you what your potential is, that makes a difference. Because if you're trying to guess, maybe I aspire to be on the, in the executive suite. But if nobody ever tells me, you know what, you have, you have what it takes. These are the things you need to work on. Then you start to get discouraged, right? Or then if you think about that work-life integration piece, it's hard. And there are more dual career couples now than ever before. And so now you've got two individuals working. I think COVID was so hard on us. And, you know, for all of you young women out there who were raising kids and doing a job and doing it remotely, I think if I had to go through that when we had two children at home, I would not have stayed in the industry. I really wouldn't because it would have just been so difficult to support them and what they needed and a career. And I think the stress of all of it would have just torn me up. So I have a ton of respect for what people have done over these last two years. It's not every story is exactly the same. But the women I talk to that leave our industry don't see the potential for them. Mm. It's very personal Mm -hmm. and they don't have a sponsor or, you know, and so that's another thing is like, well, how do I get one? What do I do? And then getting those jobs that build that technical, but there probably is a component of maybe being on call and it's not in a good time in their lives for that. And everybody's trying to think they have to be at the same pace as everyone else. But if you kind of think about that seven years I took as a consultant and part-time, I do think we can create opportunities or put people in roles when their life is a little bit more chaotic that allows them to continue to develop, to continue to move on. And then when that kind of chaos that you can move back over into maybe what you're more interested in and you don't lose ground. Mm -hmm. But I think we're still struggling as an industry to hold on. One, we can attract the talent, 
But then keeping them, they have to see people doing what they're doing. They need the sponsors. Mm -hmm. And a sponsor and a mentor are two different things. Like the mentor is someone that's going to help you deal maybe difficult situations. What next job should I take? How do I handle this project? That's a mentoring. A sponsor is someone who is in the room when opportunities open up that would say, hey, I think we need to consider so-and-so for that role Mm -hmm. and can speak powerfully to what you can do. And that's different. Mm -hmm. And that sponsor role happens because people see you performing in your job, being strong in your job. You don't go ask someone to be your sponsor, Mm -hmm. right? But that middle point in your career, I think is, is such a tough time as you're starting family, you know, and that's why I think it's important we share what we've learned. Because look, I used to try to, you know, it wouldn't get somebody to clean the house because I thought I don't want to spend that money. But then all of a sudden I'm spending my weekends cleaning the house. And then I'm not getting the quality time. I'm not even able to take care of myself, right? So then all of a sudden you go, well, what if I had somebody every other week? Man, what a game changer. Mm-hmm. And then truthfully, I guess it was about 15 years ago. I was, you know, dinner, really, it was, so we had our rotation, right? Tacos, spaghetti, pizza every Friday night. There were just, and then what was the Boston market? So you could get like a (laughs) meatloaf, and then the Boston market and Katie shut down. And we're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And I had this really nice assistant that helped me. And I was telling her how I just got to figure out a way to get this meal stuff done because running kids around, we had very active children, uh, probably had them in too much stuff. If I had to go back and, you know, redo, but anyway, they all had very talented and enjoyed it, but she found me a chef that would come to your home and would cook and you could figure five meals, two meals, three meals, whatever. And it was all fresh, fresh ingredients. It's in your fridge. And then you just would pull it out and use that for your dinner. And I thought, well, okay, I'll interview her. And she came to the house, neat, neat lady. The kids were in the interview. My husband was like, this is stupid. <laughs> this is like too much money. We don't need to be doing this. And I said, well, let's just, you know, so the kids would tell her what they like, what they didn't like. We went through it. I had her help us for six years. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it just, one, it exposed my kids to food that I wanted them to be exposed to Mediterranean, Greek, Italian, fish, you know, all these things that I was never going to have time to put together nor do. And by letting go of that, and letting somebody else. And yeah, it costs, but at the end of the day, it was probably a wash because you're buying restaurant food or throwing away stuff because you don't have time to cook it. I think at the end of the day, we probably came out with a wash, but mentally we were in a better place. I think we all ate better. So it's those kind of things that at that point in my life, if she hadn't stepped in, because she found her, she even scheduled the interview and she said, look, Saturday, this lady's coming to talk to you. Oh, okay then I probably would have been struggling too, to how are we going to do this and really manage because you want your kids to play sports, dance, music, whatever their interests are. And yet you're at work and they're running around after work. So that's why I think we lose people too is, and then the other thing you got to look at is other people are recruiting Mm -hmm. outside our industry now. And so if they offer more flexibility, more remote or the potential, you're going to end up losing them. And I just, we have to continue to make the environment positive Mm -hmm. and help them see their future. You got to tell people what their potential is. I think because somebody else is gonna, and when somebody else does, 
That's when you lose them and you can't get them. I mean, once they made that decision, they don't turn it around. They don't look back. Yeah. 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 I think what I really like about what you mentioned about the chef and, you know, for other people that would never be able to afford a chef and they're probably like, I can't even afford it. You know, other stuff. Cause I sometimes notice that too, where I'm like, Oh, well, my nanny does this or Jamie's daycare. And some women look at us like, I can't afford that. Or what about the people like me? And I think the message here or that I also mentioned is just ask for help because I think that's the hardest thing as women is we don't ask for help for you asking for help looked different. It was getting a chef to help you versus I need to be able to do it all. Right. Cause as women, want to try to do it all. And it's like, no matter where you are in the stage of your career, whatever it is that you could afford is like, ask for help, delegate tasks, whether that's family members, whether it's, you know, a teenager after school to help you with the kids, like, it's just letting go of the I have to do it all. It doesn't yeah. Matter. And that's real, right? I mean, I thought I had to be everything. And then we did do, it's interesting you say that because that's what we did for after school to help the kids is we hired a senior in high school who was a good driver, you know, and we would bring them and they would meet the kids off the bus, help get their snack if they needed to get somewhere. And the kids loved it because it was someone younger. Yeah. And it was, we were helping a high school kid. So even that asking for help doesn't always have to cost money. So in the case I was, my husband, I was telling him at one point, this is, I thought I was going to have to quit when we had come back from overseas because it's just, it was daunting. And he's like, well, what's the issue? And I said, well, and I started listing off, you know, making the kids medical appointments, dental, I'm taking care of the insurance. You know, I was listing things and he goes, then let me help. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but I just think that you should want to help because, but you're not letting go. And all of a sudden it was this epiphany that he wanted to help. You were just trying to be in control. Yeah. And I thought I needed to do all of that. But once you let go, and now, and good point on his part, he's like, now when you let it go, you got to let me do it. And (laughs) good point, right? But that doesn't cost anything. And so I see a lot of relationships, dual career, where it's a lot, the communication I think y'all's generation brings is this whole shared thing. We learned it as we went along. And so I think, you know, making sure that you are asking for help where you need it. The other thing is saying no. And I know about you too, but I struggle with that. I want to help and I want to do. And it's taken me a long time at times like, oh, Kim, you know, can you do this talk at this conference? And I always want to say yes, 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 yes. But now I'm learning. I need to say no. I need, there's got to be some time for me and to control that. And so getting better at that, but it's taken me a lifetime to figure that out. And I think the earlier can, again, being specific. So when it came to my kids, when I volunteered, I was very specific on when I would and when I would not and helping them. Like I said, I think we would probably back off on a few things, but it's harder than it's ever been. And it's easier than it's ever been. Just depends on what the issue is. And sometimes, honestly, letting go of a little money actually buys you so much more in return. And I think that for me took a while to understand. It's like, why am I spending an entire weekend cleaning? This is silly. Yeah. And just that little thing and you know, people go, well, of course you, you had somebody helping you clean. I was like, no, no, we were doing the yard work, doing all that. Cause that's what I thought you had to do. 
I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And the last question that we had for you, and it's one of my favorite questions when we ask this to the guests, because I'm like writing it down, is looking back at your career, what was the biggest piece of advice that a mentor or a former manager or any of your kids, maybe someone that gave you that you, it still resonates with you till this day and that you actually applied to your life and use? Yeah, I'm going to have to, it's going to go back to my dad, right? And it goes back to you know, there's a great quote, you know, you were born an original, don't die a copy. And my dad was always, you have to be you. And that's the easiest thing that you can live by. It's like, I have to show up as the best Kim. I can't be someone else. I can't compare. I can learn from others, but I can't be them, nor can I lead the way they do. Nor And so, as a parent, you know, I got to be the best parent I can be. And so be the best spouse you can be. And that's not always that you land everything, but you're doing the best you can and you're learning. And that was his advice from the very beginning. That, and he gets a lot of credit because he also said, surround yourself with really smart people because they'll make you look better than you are. (laughs) I love it. And that is right. So when you're picking people for positions and you're hiring, some people's philosophy is I don't want people that would make like show me up because they're smarter. His philosophy was, yeah, yeah, you want them because they're going to deliver the projects and they're going to make you look better. And that's true. It's true. So surrounding yourself with really smart people and it's the way to set up your team and your support system. Kim, we could talk to you for hours. You're absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for sharing all the advice and the openness. And we learned so much about you and your career. And just thank you so much for sharing. Thanks, y'all. And thanks for what you do. I think your podcast is super special. And it just gives a platform for really sharing you know, these kind of issues and then other things. So anytime I can help, Thank you. And look, just keep flipping the barrel. We're going to get there, right? (laughs) Thank you, Kim. I love it. 